You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. Take your Bible with me this morning and turn to Romans chapter 3. Great doctrinal dissertation on redemption. I often like to begin the messages with a question just to start getting you to think in the right direction. And so the question I want to ask you today is, do you know what it means to be redeemed? If I were to ask you to come forward and just take a few minutes to share with the fellowship what it means to be redeemed, what would you say? Could you give a clear explanation biblically on redemption? Follow along as I read here in Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, I will read through verse 28. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. This is talking about us. This is talking about the depravity, the lost estate of man. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. Say it with me. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever things, uh, what things soever the law saith, is saith to them that are under the law, which we all are. All of us are under God's law whether you want to recognize it or not, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Guilty of what? Violating God's holy law. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the, what's the word? Redemption being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth is Jesus." Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, no, but by the law of faith. 
Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Our key verse, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now take your Bible and turn over with me to one verse, and that is in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Please turn there with me. I want to hear those leaves. It is fall, by the way. Let's hear those leaves rustling here. Oh, I like that. That's good. Verse 7. In whom? Who is the whom? The Lord Jesus. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the service this morning. Help this preacher once again to bring forth your word in a very clear and understandable way that we would all leave here knowing what it means to be redeemed and that we would all leave here being redeemed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now throughout scripture there are many words that are given to us to describe the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. To all those who have believed in Jesus and have received him as their Lord and as their personal Savior, I want to talk about five legal terms that apply directly to you that help you and help me understand this so great a salvation that the Lord has given to us. First of all is the word justification. How many have ever heard that word? We are justified. This word justification means that a sinner, which all of us are, for all have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. We've just read through that passage of Scripture. That the sinner stands before God as accused of sin. Every one of us stand before God accused of being a sinner. But justification means that we then are declared righteous. We are guilty, but we are declared righteous. It is a term of acquittal. I thank God that we have been acquitted of all of our sins, and we now stand before God, not condemned of them, but justified before Him. There's another word, is the word forgiveness. We all know that word. The word forgiveness. It means that a sinner stands before God with this huge sin debt that he cannot pay. How many have ever felt you have such a big debt it just never can be paid off? We have a sin debt that absolutely cannot be paid, but God marked on that sin debt canceled. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. How many here have ever had a debt canceled? I have. What a wonderful thing. Whenever a debt is canceled, it was marked forgiven. There's another word. It's the word adoption. Adoption means that a sinner stands as a stranger before God, but then is made a child of God. This refers to a legal process that has to take place in court where a child becomes adopted into the family. And it refers to us being adopted into the family of God by our faith in the Lord Jesus. So we have justification, we have forgiveness, we have adoption. Then we have the word reconciliation. 
The sinner stands before God as an enemy. Now, how many of us are sinners? In need of justification? In need of forgiveness? In need of being adopted into the family of God? In need of reconciliation? Where we stand before God as an enemy, but by His grace we are made friends. It's a term that means that the, that the war is over and the two warring parties have been brought together in peace. And then there's the word that we're going to look at this morning. It's the word redemption. Where the sinner stands before God as a slave, but then is granted freedom. The term refers to a slave that has been purchased and then that slave has been set free. So think about this with me. We have the sinner who is acquitted. We have the debtor whose sin debt is paid in full. We have a stranger who becomes a child of God. We have an enemy who then becomes a friend of God. And we have a slave who is set free now to be the servant of God. What a wonderful, incredible, awesome change took place the very moment we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. All of these terms, what I see these, these terms as is a magnificent diamond, which I would call the diamond of the doctrine of salvation. How many of you ladies are wearing a diamond right now? Would you hold your, hold your hand up if you're wearing a diamond? How many of you would like to be wearing a diamond? Just, just kidding, just kidding. But you hold that diamond up and you look at that diamond and you look at how it gives light, it gives beauty from all its various angles. Redemption is just one of the facets. Are you with me? It's just one of the facets of that beautiful diamond of salvation. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. Now next week we're going to come and look at why the blood. Why was it that Christ had to shed his precious blood for our redemption? We'll get to that next week. But today we really want to nail down what it means to be redeemed. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 12, By his own blood he entered into the holy place, listen, having obtained eternal redemption for us. His redemption is not a temporary redemption. When you are redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are redeemed for eternity. Praise God for that truth. So what is redemption? Redemption is, listen to me, it is the deliverance of a slave by the payment of a price. We were all slaves to sin prior to our salvation experience, but we were ransomed. The price was paid. The price that had to be paid was the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ resulting in his death on an old rugged cross. That redemption price was paid and we were set free. 
in Jesus Christ. No longer under bondage. No longer under the condemnation of sin and the law. Now, to help us understand this, we need to understand that during this time that the New Testament was written, the Roman Empire was in control of basically all the known world. And slavery was a very common practice. Aren't you glad you don't live during the times of slavery? What a terrible blight on our nation when our nation accepted and condoned slavery. Praise God, those days are over. And by the way, let's get over it. The days are over. But slavery is done here in America. But during this time, slavery was a very common practice. It is estimated at the time of the writing of the book of Romans, there were over 20 million slaves in the Roman Empire. If a person wanted to free a loved one, or if a person wanted to free a friend who was a slave, he would have to pay the ransom price for that slave. He then would have to testify to the fact of that deliverance with a written certificate. He would have to write out a receipt. The redemption was the transaction that had taken place in order to free that slave. And the certificate, listen, the certificate was called the slave's redemption receipt. Think about yourself being sold into slavery or think about yourself being born into slavery. And then having someone who cared enough about you, who loved you enough that they were willing to buy you out of that slavery and write a receipt of your redemption and then give you that redemption receipt to prove that you no longer were a slave, but you were now a free man. You were now a free woman. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't that redemption receipt be precious to you? Wouldn't you guard that receipt with your life? Wouldn't you take it and frame it and put it on the wall of your home? Why? Because you once were a slave, but now because of the mercy and grace and love of another, you have been set free from that slavery. That's what redemption is all about. So let's talk about our deliverance from the slavery of sin through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, if you are a slave, you are a captive. Right? If you are a slave, you are a captive. Please listen to me, boys. Don't be cutting up and be laughing here, okay? Why don't you listen to preacher? Oh, that these young men would get the doctrine of redemption down in their hearts. This isn't something that's difficult to understand. You say, well, that's, well, that's, this is a deep doctrine. No, it's not. It's very simple to understand who we were and who we now are because of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus through his shed blood, his mercy and grace. Before salvation. How many of you remember when you were saved? Well, I do. 
I forget a lot of things anymore, but I'll never forget the day I got saved. Before salvation, we were all captive slaves to sin. That's what the Bible says. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have proved. Paul said we have proved through the scriptures. We have proved both Jews and Gentiles. By the way, either you're a Jew or you are a Gentile that takes in the whole human race. We have proved both Jews and Gentiles, listen to what he says, they are all under sin. Before salvation, we were all under sin. What does it mean to be under sin? It means that you were under the control, you were under the power of sin itself. You were a sinner. You were a sinner by nature, and you were a sinner by choice. It wasn't that we just sinned occasionally. It was that that was who we were. That was our nature. And it goes on, as it is written, there is... None righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Praise God, he sought after us. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Yesterday, as I was thinking about this message I was going to bring to you today, we turned on the Michigan game. And as they zoomed out and they showed the entire, entire stadium, they played Purdue. And as they showed the entire stadium, I looked at those people in a way that I had never seen them before. You know how I saw them? As slaves under sin. Never have I ever seen a group of people like that before. But that is exactly what the Bible says. They are all sold under the power and the control of sinners. Why do people do what they do? Because they're sinners. That's why they sin. That's why they act the way that they do. They are sinners. We were all born into a state of slavery. We didn't become slaves. We were born slaves. Every one of us before salvation were held captive by the power of sin. And that is true of every person until they are redeemed and set free from sin's power and penalty. That's why David said, in sin did my mother what? I was conceived in sin. Listen to me here this look at me here this morning. When your mother's egg and your father's sperm came together, you were a sinner. Born into the slavery of sin. Jesus said, whosoever committeth sin, how many of you have committed sin? 
Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Solomon said, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Paul described the Roman Christians that before their salvation, he said, They, or you, are, were the servants of sin. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 14, Paul said that before his salvation, he was sold under sin. <clears throat> Do you know we take sin so lightly? I don't think there is a person here, including myself, as I have meditated on this message for almost two weeks now. I've rolled it over in my heart, rolled it over in my mind. I've gone over, and God, how do you want me to deliver this to your people? But even in the amount of time that I have spent preparing this message to give to you today, none of us realize how bad sin really is. None of us. That's why we all are engaged in excusing our sin. Aren't we good at that? Aren't we good at justifying our sinful behaviors? Aren't we masters at blaming others for the sins that we have committed? We are experts at condoning our sin, of minimizing our sin. None of us realize how sinful our sin really is. The Bible says sin by the commandment, the law of God, the commandments of God. Sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. You know why we don't like the commandments? Because it causes us to realize how exceedingly sinful we all are. So we don't want to hear the commandments. Someone just told me this week there was someone that decided they no longer want to come to our church, and the reason they don't want to come to our church, they decided to go to another church, was because when they come to our church, they feel convicted. When they go to this other church, they feel good. Listen to me. That's the state of which we're in today. If you come to church to feel good, I'm going to tell you, you're in the wrong church. We mentioned this verse Wednesday night. Because of the carnal mind. Remember thinking like the Corinthians. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject unto the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind will not submit itself to the commandments of God. Why won't the carnal mind submit itself to the commandments of God? Because it hates the commandments. You know, we say, well, pastor, you don't understand. It's just a little sin. My wife had a book. I don't know who wrote the book, but the name of the book was written by some lady. The name of the book was called The Respectable Sins. Can I tell you something? There is no little sin. There is no respectable sin. 
The Bible said, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point becomes guilty of all of it. Paul said, moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. The offense against who? Against God. Sin is the greatest offense we could ever commit toward a holy God. I'm going to say it again. None of us realize how bad sin is. Have you noticed that the further we get away from God as a country, the more we want to remove his law? How many have been noticing that? In the past, I'll say 50 years, we have seen an attack upon the law of God as we have never seen before. Monuments that contain the law of God being removed. The law of God that once used to hang in almost every court in America. That was our standard. That was that by which we passed judgment on what was right and wrong, but now somehow we know better. And we can redefine the law, and every one of us can now do that which is right in his own eyes. But there's been an all-out attack on the law of God in our society, in our schools, in the workplace, you name it. Remove it. And it's always stated the reason we have to remove the law of God is because of, you know, separation of church and state. It's always interesting to me that the, the state doesn't mind interfering in the church. But boy, they sure mind the church interfering in the state. I'm just here to tell you, if it cuts one way, it needs to cut the other. But this has, this has nothing to do. Nothing to do. Have you ever noticed the real reason really isn't the reason? Pastor Rich and I were fellowshipping this week, and he said, Dan, he's had some people leave his church, and we've, we've had a number of people leave our church in the past two, three years. And Rich said, I remember a pastor told me one time, the real reason really isn't the reason. That was me that told him that. The reason that people give you is almost never the real reason. You know what the real reason is why we have done our best to remove the law of God? Because the law of God produces guilt. The law of God produces shame. The law of God produces a heavy hand of condemnation. And who wants to feel guilty? Who wants to feel shameful? Who wants to have their lives condemned? The Bible says for, excuse me, what shall we say then? 
Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, listen, that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world, the whole world, may become guilty before a holy God. Yes, God's law. That's why I've shared with you before. I've, I've ne- I think of all the messages that I've preached over the years. Dead serious. I have, I have never experienced more reaction to the series that we did at the beginning of the year, which I thought would go four weeks, but it went five, where we talked about the commandments. Man hates the law. I want you to know something else about the law. The law is powerless to save you from your sin. All the law can do is bring guilt. All the law can do is bring shame. All the law can do is bring condemnation. It brings the knowledge of sin, but it doesn't bring salvation from sin. By the works, by the works, are you with me? By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law comes only the knowledge of sin. That's why the Bible said, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You offend in one point, you're guilty of all, you become a sinner. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods. What? How many of you have ever, ever put something before the Lord? Can I see your hand? Guilty. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or bow down to them. You say, well, I've never done that, but has anything ever become an idol in your life? Guilty. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That is more than just cursing. That's saying you're a Christian but not living like one. How many are guilty? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I'm sure none of you have ever skipped church. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. But John takes it to even if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Thou shalt not commit adultery even if you look at a woman. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet anything that is thy neighbor's. Can I tell you something, church? I am guilty of every single one of those. And guess what? So are you. The law is powerless to redeem us. The Bible said, for what the law could not do in redeeming us, Because it is weak through our flesh. Listen to me. God sending his own son. Hallelujah. We could not do it. God realized he's the only one that could do it. And so he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin to condemn sin in the flesh. 
That's why the Bible said the law was nothing more than our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Say, well, schoolmaster wasn't the teacher. A schoolmaster was one that said, come on, boy, you're going to school. Right? A child didn't want to go to school. The schoolmaster grabbed him, took him, and set him down in front of the teacher. What does the law do? It brings you and it sets you down at the foot of the cross. And it makes you realize there's only one that could redeem me from all this condemnation. And that is the one who condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus Christ. How bad is sin? I can't describe how bad sin is. All I can tell you is it is the greatest offense towards a holy God that there is. Our God is holy. Holiness is his exalted attribute. His holiness totally saturates his entire being. Holiness is the embodiment of all of his moral perfections and his absolute freedom from every sin. Holiness is who God is. And our sin separates us from this holy God. Separates us from his presence. It also separates us from his blessing. Isaiah 59 and verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. Sin separates us from God. God hates sin. Do you believe that? Say amen. God hates sin. You know why? Because it is the antithesis. Can you believe I used that word? It is the antithesis to his nature. It is absolutely, completely opposite to his nature. Listen to how the psalmist described God's hatred for sin. The psalmist says, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. That's how much God hates it. He doesn't look at it. He will not dwell around it. I stop and I, I mean, I, I was like, Lord, help me understand in just a, a small way. Help me understand how holy you are, how sinful we are, and how much you hate sin. Truthfully, I could not wrap my mind around it. But I will say this. God hates sin, but at the same time, he loves us. He hates sin, and he loves us. And I thought, you know what? You know why he hates sin so much? Is because sin separates us from him. That's why he hates us so much. He does not want to be separated from us. Sin breaks that close communion and that fellowship that we have with God. No wonder he hates it. I want to tell you something. I hate it when things are not right between my wife and I. I just hate it. Please forgive me if I'm wrong. 
But I believe there's some of you here today, it has been so long since you have been in fellowship with the Lord, you don't even remember what it was like. When you had that communion with him, when you, had that, when you could hear from God, when you could speak with God, when the channel was open between you and the Lord, when you longed to spend time with him, when you couldn't wait to come to church, couldn't wait to hear the preaching of the word, you looked forward to having your devotions in the morning, God spoke to you. It's been so long since some of you here have had that close communion and fellowship with the Lord. You forgot that the Bible said it could be so long that we can get to the place where we even forget that we were once purged from our old sins. That's a terrible backslidden condition to be in. Sin is a personal offense to a holy God. Why? Because he does not want to be separated from us. He doesn't. And also, I, I believe God hates... Come here. I'm here to help you. I believe God hates sin so much because he doesn't want to be separated from us, from me. But God also knows that sin bears terrible consequences. And because he loves me, he does not want me to sin because he knows the consequences that are going to come into my life as a result of my sin. shared with you last week, just like the major part of my ministry now is to try to get people just to think right. Instead of thinking like the Corinthians, instead of having carnal thinking, to really think as God thinks. But do you know, look up here, look up here at your preacher. I want you to feel sorry for me for a minute. You know how hard it is to convince some of you that there are consequences to your sinful actions? Be not deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that sows to that old sinful, corrupt flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Not you may, but oh yes you will, God says. And the truth is, if I love you as your pastor, shouldn't I warn you about that? Yes or no? Or, or should I just sit up here and preach one of those grace messages and tell you, you know what, we're not under law, we're not under the condemnation of it, we don't have to worry about keeping the commandments, it's okay when sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I'm going to tell you, I believe that that is one of the most unloving things that a pastor could teach his people. Sin hurts. Sin harms. Sin defiles. And yes, my sin and your sin affects other people. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Sin is described in Scripture. I don't have time to read all these verses. 
But sin is described, listen to me, as a putrefying sore that just pusses and continues to ooze. Sin is described as a crushing, heavy burden that cannot be borne. It is described as defiling filth. It is described as a debt that never can be paid. It is described as complete darkness and a stain that cannot be cleansed. I'm going to tell you there is some good news. It's a debt that can't be paid, but Jesus paid it. It's a stain that can never be cleansed, but Jesus cleansed it. There's nothing worse in the eyes of God than that which caused him to have to send his son to this earth to be humiliated, to be stripped naked before the whole world to see, to be beaten, and to be hung on an old rugged cross. I want you to tell you something. He did that for me. He did that to redeem me. To us, sin has, be- sin has become no big deal. But it's a big deal to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Peter said these words, For Christ also hath once suffered for our sin. Can you believe that? That Jesus was willing to suffer for our sin? The just for the unjust. His life for mine. His life for mine. That he might bring us to God. He became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I believe this with all my heart, the greatest pain that Jesus suffered was not the beatings, it was not the scourging. It was not his beard being pulled from his face, it wasn't him being spit upon. It wasn't the mocking of the crowds. It wasn't even him being nailed to the cross. Which I I cannot even imagine how painful that all that was. The greatest pain that Jesus ever endured was when the price, the ransom price 
to set me free as a slave was paid. And he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. The price was paid. Redemption had been wrought. And he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he died. And the hands of God came down to the temple. And that veil that was three inches thick made of the hides and the leather of animals was taken and ripped from the top to the bottom. And God said, you're redeemed. You're redeemed. My son just paid the price for all of humanity. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid. What God demanded was the payment for sin. So I didn't have to. But if you're here today, and I'll close with these words. If you're here today and you have rejected the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, listen to me. That price, that wage of sin cannot be paid in a thousand years. That, that way, that's how bad sin is. You can't pay it in a thousand years of trying to pay it back. You can't pay it in a billion years. You cannot pay the payment of sin in a trillion years. You can't pay it in eternity. That's why sin is so bad that the wages of it is separation from God in a place called hell forever and ever. Have you ever wondered why hell, the lake of fire? The Bible says everlasting punishment, everlasting fire, everlasting burning, a furnace of fire, a lake of fire, unquenchable fire, a devouring fire, a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, a place of torment, a place of utter darkness, a place where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever wondered why people go there forever? Because of how bad sin is. And it can never be paid by us. That's why Jesus paid it all. All to him I know. He blotted out the handwritings of the ordinances that was against us. And he took it out of the way. And he nailed it to his cross. Has the condemnation of sin been taken out of the way for you? Are you here today as a redeemed, not slave, but saint? You know what heaven's going to be full of? Heaven's going to be full of former slaves who are going to walk the golden streets and testify forever to the one who set them free. Let's pray.
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.